time. And the rest of us, let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you haven't figured out yet, the theme of uh, today's service is the second coming, the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many reasons why we believe that Jesus could return at any time, and it is not the great intention of uh, this uh, message this morning to delve into all of those reasons. Uh, but we start here in verse 13 of chapter 4 of the book of First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter 4, And we're going to read our text here this morning, and then we're going to go to several other passages and come back and finish up here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But uh, the overall context here in in, uh, Thessalonians chapter 4 is Paul is explaining to this church, a young church, he was not able to be there very much time, and so he is now... Uh, just a few weeks from the very first service until the church was left by Paul having to flee from persecution. And uh, so he is writing to them, trying to instruct them. In the first part, he tells them that they should know how to live uh, a, a pure life before God. And verse 9 says, touching brotherly love. Verse 11, that she studied to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. And verse 13, he says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And so... Uh, Paul, as he's addressing the Thessalonians, he's telling them uh, in the uh, other parts here, but in chapter 4 especially, that verse 4, that everyone should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, uh, that as believers in Jesus, we should live pure and clean lives, uh, that our service should be for the Lord through um, the church, uh, and he keeps going on. Then he, then he just uh, finishes this section. And, and uh, actually he's going to be dealing with end times uh, all the way up until he gets to that last part of chapter 5. Where he just gives command after command. And, and uh, it is uh, really a very powerful passage of scripture. But here he takes verses 13 through 18. And he tells the church there in Thessalonica 
that I don't want you to be ignorant concerning them which are asleep, those which have died in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, what we want to do as we go through the Bible, as we study, as is we want to find other passages that talk about this same thing. And then we're going to come back. So, let's go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, this is... Uh, uh, what many people call the Last Supper. This is where Jesus institutes uh, what we call uh, communion or the Lord's table. Uh, it was not the Last Supper because uh, it was the Last Supper Jesus ate with his disciples, of course, but uh, we are to uh, commemorate this, and I believe uh, uh in your bulletin, September 15th will be the next time that we have the Lord's Supper on a Sunday uh, evening. And uh, as a church, we do that from time to time to remember these events. And uh, Jesus had just instituted what we call the Lord's Supper. And he had told that all the disciples would be uh, dispersed. They would hide. They would... Uh, desert the Lord Jesus Christ, and then he starts with verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am... There ye may be also. So Jesus is giving them a promise. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. I mean, they were going to see some terrible things. Certainly Peter's heart was going to be troubled the rest of his life because he tried to follow Jesus afar off and would deny that he even knew the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, he found forgiveness. Uh, and he became a great servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I will, will tell you this. There was regret in Peter's life until his dying day. Because he did not trust the Lord fully in this time. And uh, we have to understand that our existence, our life, is not just made up of what is here on earth. There is coming a day when Jesus will take us to be with him. And we need to remember, we need to sing those songs. Uh, I will tell you that uh, it is so easy to be overwhelmed with everything going on in this world around us. And yet, if we will keep our eyes where we should. Acts 1.11, if you want to turn there quickly with me as a is another promise that was given to uh, the disciples that Jesus would return. He had walked with them out onto uh, the Mount of Olives, out there uh, just outside the city proper of Jerusalem. And he had given them what we call the Great Commission, the work of the church, which we are supposed to be about today. And then he ascended into heaven. In verse 11, the angel looked at them and said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner 
as ye have seen him go into heaven. Now, he said, we're not primarily talking about the reasons we believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, that Jesus could return at any moment, uh, but this is one of those passages. It says, in like manner. Who was there? Just the disciples. Who saw it? Only the disciples. It was a private event, but you read in the book of Zechariah, it says, his foot is going to touch on the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives, the mountain on which Jerusalem sits, is going to be split in two, and there's going to be cataclysmic events, and every eye shall behold him. We certainly have two completely separate events here. We have the promise that Jesus is coming for his church. Uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And uh, some smart aleck preacher years ago said that this verse ought to be put up on the nursery door. That uh, it says, uh, we shall not all sleep for we must all be changed. Talking about the babies in the nursery. That is out of context. I want to warn you about that. I don't think I have to spend a lot of time there. But um, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 50, uh, 15, uh, verse 51, it says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Now, these verses were written to help us understand that Jesus is coming for his church. If you, uh, every once in a while, I don't know if this still happens, but uh, uh, used to be in the subways, you would have someone uh, walking down the aisle going, 666, 666, the coming of Antichrist. How many of you have seen those people on the subways? Okay, two of us have. Uh, and and I'm, I'm sitting there going, this is not the way it works, friends. And every so often you have this article uh, uh, published and it'll go all over the Internet. Uh, they're doing research on these chips and it's going to be the mark of the beast. And if we will just follow what the Bible said, there is no sign that has to be fulfilled for Jesus to come. But the whole world keeps talking about peace in the Middle East, do they not? And that is going to be the beginning of the tribulation period. The Antichrist, the beast is going to bring peace, real peace, to the Middle East. It's not going to last because the devil can't bring peace. He can only bring death and destruction. And You take time to read the book of Revelation. You'll find out in that seven-year period, somewhere between two-thirds and three-quarters of the world's population is going to be annihilated between the signing of the peace treaty and the battle of Armageddon which ends the tribulation period. 
And there is some confusion. People try to say that Jesus is coming back at the end of the tribulation. Yes, he is, to set up his kingdom. But before the tribulation begins, he's going to remove his church. And the Bible tells us in our text that we've read and in these other passages here, let not your heart be troubled, comfort you with these words, uh, that we are to have hope of immortality and being with the Lord forever. These are the promises. But Jesus also taught. Uh, you read much in the Scripture, the Old Testament, is talking about the coming of Jesus. And, and many of these passages in the Old Testament put all three together as one. You read Hebrew, um, uh, Hebrews, sorry, Isaiah chapter 11 talks about the kingdom where the lion and the lamb are going to lay down beside each other and the little child's going to be able to play uh, at the den of the poisonous snake. And that's talking about the kingdom after the battle of Armageddon, after the tribulation period, after all these things are done. That was one of the reasons many of the Jewish people did not accept Jesus being born in Bethlehem's manger. Because they were looking forward to the king coming. And of course, they had some ideas about how that king was going to operate. None of them from the Bible, by the way. Uh, all of them about how great things would be for the Jewish people when he And I will tell you this, you, you read about the New Jerusalem, you read about uh, the Millennial Kingdom, and the Jewish people are going to have a place in that, but they're going to believe in Jesus as their Messiah before. They can have a part in that, just like you and I do today. And so let's turn to Luke chapter 18. And... Uh, each, each one of these points could be an entire sermon on its own. I hope you don't mind covering some scripture uh, in our sermon time this morning. But we'll get back to our main text here in just a few minutes and, and finish up there. But uh, Luke chapter 18. And we come down to, uh, we have in verses 1 through 7 what is called the parable or the story of the unjust judge. And read in verse 1, it says, And he spake this parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. So Jesus tells us the purpose of the parable is to teach us to pray and not to ever quit praying. And if you'll start in... Uh, Verse 9, it says, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. This is the story of the, of the Pharisee and the publican. But in between are the verses we're looking at here. And uh, um, verse 8, it says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless... When the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Jesus also said in another passage, as in the days of Noah, shall, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And, and that has led some preachers to preach that 
we live in the last days in the Laodicean, taking the letters to the churches and trying to make them ages. And I don't believe that we have to be a lukewarm church, my friends. I don't believe that our relationship with Christ needs to be any less than the Lord Jesus Christ himself desires it. But he's trying to help us understand something. There will be times when it seems like the Lord is letting the wrong guys win. Uh, That's okay. You keep your eyes on the Lord. Uh, There will be those that claim to be righteous and claim to be all wise and claim to know all of these things. And that's quite all right. Let them be what they're going to be. That's the parable before and after. Here's our duty. When Jesus comes, we need to be faithful. You can't make anyone else faithful, but you can make yourself faithful to the Lord. We cannot tell other churches what they ought to do. Churches are independent. They're individually responsible to the Lord Jesus Christ. We do not believe in denominational headquarters or superintendents or Grand Poobahs, if you like the the Flintstones. We, We don't believe in any of those things. Because if Jesus is the head of his church, then we are responsible directly to him as individual believers and corporately together as a church for what goes on. We need to make a commitment. We have the promises. How many of you believe God's word? Say amen. Well, if you believe God's word, then we will be among the faithful when Jesus comes, if we're still here alive on earth. Amen? That is just part of the teaching that is there. Let's go to Luke chapter 12. And this is a huge passage. We cannot by any means cover the whole thing, but we just want to touch on a few things here. This is part of what is called the Sermon on the Plain. It is much like the Sermon on the Mount, much of the same information, just a different time and a different place. But verse 32, it says, Fear not, little flock, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You know, God wants us to enjoy the kingdom of God. Read Revelation chapter 1. Thou hast made us kings and priests unto our God. And then he says in verse 34, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let your loins be girded about and your lights be burning. Now what he's saying there is be dressed and be thinking. Your lights burning is the thought process in your mind. Don't be asleep. And ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord... When he will return from the wedding, and when he cometh and knocketh, that they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. We get down to verse 41. Then Peter saith unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us or even to all? And the Lord said, Who then is 
that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing of a truth. I say unto you that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. And then he goes on to talk about those servants that uh, are slothful and refuse to believe that the Lord Jesus Christ could come at any moment. And they, they are going to be judged. No, they're not going to lose their salvation, praise God. But you can lose everything else. You can lose your rewards. You can lose your testimony. But let's look at one more very quickly. And then we'll go back to our text. Turn with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. And Jesus, as he is praying, if you want the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer is John chapter 17. Read and study it. It is a wonderful, wonderful passage. Verse 20 says, Neither pray I for these alone, talking about his disciples, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Uh, Jesus was praying down through the ages there as he was facing Calvary's cross that there would be one faith, one God. And we get down to uh, verse 24. It says, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. I, I read that verse and I just got to stop. Jesus wants his servants to be with him in heaven and to see his glory. If you want to know what heaven is going to be like, I thought about just preaching about heaven and I said, you know, the problem is once we get there, we will enjoy it. Amen? But we need to get there first. We need to understand that the greatest Thing that God can give us. The greatest gift God can give us is the fact that He will take us to heaven and let us see Him for who He is. If God did that right now, we'd all be gone. Because we are sinful human beings. Remember what He did with Moses? He stuck him in the cleft of the rock, in a cutout of the rock, and put his hand over him and walked past and said, Moses, you can, you can look at my glory or my shadow. You can see my hinder parts is the word the Bible used. But Jesus is praying here that we could behold the full glory of God and not be consumed by it. You know what that means? God has to make us as righteous as he is. Otherwise, his glory would destroy us. That's what heaven is going to be about. Would you grasp that thought? We understand so little today. And yet we have these great scientists trying to explain everything to us. 
but I remember the words of a doctor that we had years ago, uh, obstetrician. He said, you know, he said, all I do is catch the babies. He said, everything that happens, that, that's beyond my ability. I'm sitting there going, hey, we got somebody. I don't believe that he really understood about salvation, but he certainly understood one thing. His job was nothing compared to the Creator. And so, as Jesus is teaching, even in his prayer, we, could, we cannot even begin to cover all the times that Jesus talked about heaven and glory and his return. But we, just a summary of this is, number one, just because it looks bad doesn't mean Jesus isn't coming. Will he find faith on the earth? If we'll be faithful, there'll be faith when Jesus comes. That's all we need to worry about. Amen? We look at the next passage there in Luke chapter 12, and it says we've got to be ready because we do not know when the Lord is coming. And this last one is just simply to encourage you, simply to stretch your mind a little bit Jesus said, I am desirous, I am asking God the Father that I can bring all those that have believed on me to be with me in heaven and really for their first time see who I am. I'll tell you, it's going to change everything. Now let's go back to our text with this as a context for 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's just start, work our way through, and we'll, we'll be done on time here. Verse 13 of chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians, he says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. Now, we have to be careful here. Our Bible uses a word that is uh, not given a very positive connotation in modern English. But I, I do want you to understand, ignorance is not dumb. Ignorance is just not having all the facts. Ignorance is a lack of knowledge. Uh, it is used very negatively in modern English. In fact, if you told someone they were ignorant, they would probably accuse you uh, of calling them a very bad name, especially if they're... Uh, of little education as many people are this day in time. But dumb means you can't understand things. Even if the knowledge was laid out before you, you couldn't comprehend it. That's not the case with the Word of God. God's message is very simple. But Paul is telling the Thessalonians here, he said, I don't want you to be without knowledge. See, we live in a world that is full of death, do we not? And we are tempted when death comes our way to sorrow. And we should. And we don't have time to... 
to go through all of the teaching of the Bible, but just Psalm 23, it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, far different from what we're going to be talking about next week in our Sunday school time, as the angel of the Lord goes through the land of Egypt, it is not the valley of the shadow of death. The land of Egypt is going to be the land of death, as the firstborn in every family will be slain by the power of God in judgment for the wickedness and uh, all of the things that have gone on there in that land at that time. But Paul is simply saying, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be without knowledge. And I want you to understand what has happened to those who are asleep, to those believers in Jesus Christ that have died. And then he says, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Now, if we are true believers in Jesus Christ, we have the promises that are in the Scripture. We have the teaching of Christ and much, much more on his return. We, of all people, are to live in a world of hope and expectation. The only problem is most of us would be far more upset if the economy had a downturn than if Jesus were to come. I mean, most of us are much more attached to the things of this world than we are to the things of this word. Can we, understand, can we agree on that? You see... And I have met believers in Jesus Christ who have allowed the sorrow, just as unsaved people do, attack them when a loved one dies, and it is hard to comfort them. The Bible says these things are written unto us that we sorrow not, that we do not live in a world where there is no hope. It says here, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So here we have the promise. Here we have the teaching of the Bible. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, verse 15, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Now, this is the Apostle Paul talking. And I have to point this out every time I go through, so sorry, you're going to hear it again. We includes me. The Apostle Paul included himself in this message when he talked about those that would be alive when Jesus returned. The Apostle Paul believed that Jesus could return in his lifetime. Uh, that's why I, I just don't have a lot of time for those who want to pick up different points when Jesus could come and the rapture at the end of the tribulation, in the middle, all of these things. No, the Bible is very simple, very clear. Jesus could come back at any time. And when he does, those which have died... Uh, in salvation, in righteousness, God is going to bring 
Uh, then it says, The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we again, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. We are not to sorrow as the world sorrows. Our attention is to be on the any moment return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is a tough one because I, I don't want to, uh, to be hypocritical in my preaching, but let me just ask you a question. How many of us have wasted time this week? Uh-oh. Yeah, my hand goes up. I'm, I'm with you. And this doesn't mean that we're trying to be in an artificial, never rest, always. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, that's just as wrong as the other because, you know, it's like the little saying, drink coffee, you'll do more stupid things faster. Uh, that, that is not what we're talking about here. It is a simple daily walk with God. That's what we're striving for. We have opportunities to witness, opportunities to talk to others. Not just on visitation times at church, but all through the week long. We need to be in this book. That's what the Bible reading schedule is about. If you don't have one, you can get one today. And here's, always say this too, just start today. Uh, you'll still get more done if you just start today than if you try to catch up. Um, we, we live in a world where everyone tries to be fantastic at something. Let's just try to serve the Lord till He comes. Amen? Let's be among those faithful today. And if Jesus comes today, then we'll be. But if he comes tomorrow, guess what? We have already set the pathway for us to be faithful tomorrow by being faithful today. How many of you have ever deceived yourself saying, Well, I, I'm going to get to that someday. When I grow up, I'm going to be... no. A fire truck, right? No, it doesn't work that way. I have today. I cannot waste today sorrowing for things that God will take care of. You say, well, what do I do if my loved one is not saved? We can only hide in the person of God and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, the Bible says he's not, God is not willing that any should perish. We cannot know. It's kind of funny. The world says, false religion says, you can't know that you're saved until you die. But you know, they, they take everything that's in the Bible and turn it inside out. We really cannot know 
the fate of any soul without salvation until we stand before God. But I'll tell you what we can know. We can know our fate if we'll just be obedient to the Word of God. And we can live every day in that knowledge, in that hope, in that expectation. And I've often said this, and we'll say it again. If you want to be the greatest blessing to your family that you can possibly be, you let them know that you are saved. And then make sure whoever preaches your funeral preaches the gospel. Amen? And and they can... Take your testimony and use that as a foundation to tell other people who would normally never listen about the wonder and the comfort that is in this book called the Bible. You see, no one knows what's beyond the grave except what Jesus told us. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be without hope. I don't want you to sorrow the way the world sorrows. Because Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to bring those that have died before us in faith in Jesus Christ. And we're going to meet in the air. And we're going to be, it says here, And so shall we ever be with the Lord. We've got to be ready because Jesus didn't tell us when. Could be today. Could be a hundred years from today. But my guess, I'm going to stick with the Apostle Paul. We, which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. Amen? And we are to comfort one another. And we are to remember... That the whole purpose of this thing is so that when Jesus does call us to the place he's prepared for us, we will finally be able to see and understand and comprehend the glory of the creator God of this universe. There is so little that we know. And yet, you read Second Peter chapter 1, everything about the Christian life is through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But when we get to heaven, we're going to find out we didn't even know that much about Jesus. And yet, look at all the wonderful things that it's done in your life. Amen? Let us be faithful. Let us be faithful. Watching, let us pray that we can live in such a way that when he takes us to heaven, we'll be able to share his glory. Let us not be ignorant. Let us comfort one another with these words. We do not live in a world without hope, in a world of sorrow. We can walk with the Savior. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, if he is your Savior, if he's not, you can get that solved today. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And we'd be happy to talk with you about that. That would be our greatest pleasure to help you understand 
But this morning's sermon is primary to those that have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. That we do have hope. We do have his promise. We do have his teaching. And we do have a lot that needs to be done. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father,